0: Hey guys, it's Nathan. This is episode 32 of The Nathan Seawood Show.
1: The Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men.
0: Hey guys, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Where every week I'm having deep, vulnerable and unedited conversations with men that have overcome adversity to thrive in their business and their lives. It's great to have you here. hope you're having an amazing week. I'm still in Medellin in Colombia and just finishing up my time here. It's been a month already, which I can't believe. And from here, I head to the States again for a week. And then I go over to London for uh, September, which I'm so, so excited about hanging with uh, a lot of incredible people in London and doing some cool events. So I'm so excited about that. Columbia has been amazing. I've spent a lot of time just embracing the isolation, embracing my my introverted nature and just spending time alone. This morning, I just spent two hours just down on the balcony, no phone, no notepad, no laptop, nothing, just looking out over the city, watching the birds and just really being uh, in this incredible space and just clearing my mind and just actually enjoying watching the world go by and it was fantastic. My thoughts for the week. This week I've been contemplating uh, the difference between success and fulfillment and it's a tricky one. Uh, Tony Robbins says that success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure which is pretty uh, heavy. A lot of my clients come to me and they say man um, I don't know what to do, I've got everything I ever wanted uh, and I still feel empty inside, there's something that's still missing and I can't quite put my finger on it, I feel lonely um, and I just feel like unfulfilled, like something's missing and so this is my work really, this is my life's work is to help people uh, that have everything they want that have already found success in their lives, that know how to get success but uh, something's still missing for them and fulfillment's a tricky one Success is a science you, you If you want to be successful in something from property investing to uh buying stocks and shares to uh, how to be better at in bed in your sex life, there's a book about that. There's people that have done it, there's people that know way more about it than you that you can read, and you can follow their system. Success ultimately is a science uh, there's some variables in there, but generally someone's done what you've wanted to do, and so you can follow um, you can follow their formula to become successful. Fulfillment's a a tricky one because fulfillment is an art. Fulfillment's a daily practice. It shifts, it changes, it's completely individual to you. So you have to decide what brings you joy, what makes you happy, what your ultimate fulfillment would be. Uh, And the difference I see here is that when you're looking outside of you, when you're looking externally, for things to make that emptiness go away or to make that loneliness or just that feeling of missing. You guys know what I'm talking about. When you look externally for that, it doesn't really change. Maybe you can get it to go away. You know, there's lots of different ways we do this. Maybe if I had a different job. Maybe if we moved to Hawaii. Maybe if um, I had another 100 grand. Man, if I had another 100 grand, that would probably do it. Then all my problems would go away and I'd finally feel fulfilled. Or just simply looking at... uh, Small things, if I buy a new watch, if I get the latest iPhone, if I get drunk tonight, that'll help me feel fulfilled. But as long as we're looking externally, it's only ever going to be temporary. So for me to find ultimate fulfillment, you have to go within, which is a scary place to be <laughs> for a lot of us. You have to go within and start exploring the truth of what what's really going on in your body, because the body never lies. The mind can argue with itself a million times about what's wrong, right, what I should do, this, that but the body never lies. It gives you simple cues very directly in different parts of your body. But what's happened is we come to numb out what's going on in our body because we're trying to follow these formulas to success. In the external, we don't listen to what's going on internally. So for me, and I discuss it actually in this conversation with uh, my guest this week, is I have a base level of fear around boredom. And so that keeps me busy. So the way I kind of numb out uh having to think about those bigger questions or what's going on inside me is i just don't stay bored i stay busy with people or with uh facebook or instagram or with um going out drinking or anything you you you, you name it i i know how to do it to <laughs> to procrastinate or to distract myself so we use these things to numb out so my practice has been really not numbing myself out not closing off uh and giving myself space to actually explore what's going on within me. That's why I took two hours out today just to do nothing because that's actually scary for me. And I have a feeling that that's probably scary for you. If I said, do you go and spend two hours alone sitting in a park? You would say, I haven't got time. What would I do? That's ridiculous. You have to do stuff. You know, we have to be successful, blah, 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 blah. But when you actually stop and spend that time then you're starting to hear what's really going on inside of your body and all the crazy thoughts that are arguing with themselves. And you can actually start to hear what the truth is, what the truth is that, you know, what brings you joy, what feels good, what's just endless mind chatter, and what are some of the things that can actually bring you joy. So until we make space for those things, fulfillment, that feeling of emptiness is going to elude us. I'll come back to this because this is, My life's work, I feel like this is what I help people do all the time is get into their bodies and actually start feeling what they don't want to feel. So we can be successful still. I still love success, but we can actually make that emptiness go away and find fulfillment as well. And one man that knows a lot about this, who's dedicated his life to this kind of thing is Steve Rain, my guest this week. Steve is a conversational hypnotherapist that lives in Nashville, Tennessee. And he's had uh, a crazy life story. He's been through, like a lot of men that come on the show, they have a bit of a tumultuous upbringing, go through lots of highs and lows trying to find themselves until uh, they start to do what I just talked about to go within and find out what actually uh, makes them happy and what makes them feel on purpose, on mission, and fulfilled. For Steve, it was getting into hypnotherapy and helping now thousands of people to live more enjoyable, more happier, more freer lives through that work. Uh, It's a great conversation. Steve is very candid and very open about his life and and some of the things he's gone through. So I think you'll get a lot out of this one. So please enjoy this very personal conversation with the powerful Steve Rain.
2: (laughs) Um,
1: Back when I I was there, there were maybe 50,000 people in the town that I grew up in and uh, a lot of it was agriculture. Uh, there was some industry there, uh, but that's really what it was. It was, it was farming and blue-collar workers. And, did you grow up on the farm? No, I grew up in, in a small neighborhood. My dad worked in a factory. Uh, he worked uh, for a company that – I don't know if I could say the name of the company on here or not, but uh, I guess it doesn't matter. It was Westinghouse. They were making light bulbs. Okay, That's what, we, what they did in Owensboro, and he was, um, he was the maintenance guy. He kept all the, all the machines running. You know, and uh, that's what he did for gosh, 40 years uh, in various different places. He worked uh, in different uh, different factories and you know different companies over the years. But that's pretty much what he did. He was a hands-on kind of guy, and uh, you know that's uh, that, that's really what uh, what shaped him and who he is. You know, but uh, yeah, Owensboro was um, it was very rural. You know, I, I was I was probably five minutes away from being in the middle of absolutely nowhere. <laughs> and I was probably seven minutes away from being from being in downtown. You know, it uh, it was a pretty small place. But uh, I, I, I think growing up there was was a pretty good thing because it kind of sheltered me from some of the craziness in the world.
2: Um,
1: mm. uh, and it's also kind of, uh, you know, getting out and doing what I'm doing now kind of surprised me what some people have gone through or what they went through in their childhoods. You know, because when I was growing up, it was pretty safe. I mean, you know, man, I'd jump on my bicycle and I'd disappear for hours and hours on end. And mom had no idea where I was. And as long as I was home for dinner, everything was okay. Didn't get my butt smacked. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it was it was just a safe environment growing up. And I really didn't worry about anything. You know, except maybe the redneck kid down the street who I accidentally flipped off one day and he was out to get me, (laughs) you know, but uh, as dangerous as it got. That was really about it. You know, it wasn't uh, there wasn't a whole lot going on there. I think uh, I remember when I was a kid there, I heard rumors of some motorcycle gang that used to be there. uh, But, you know, I never saw them or anything. They never, uh, never affected me. It was just small town, Kentucky, uh, Kentucky lifestyle. That was it. You know, and did you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've got a younger sister. She's about six years younger than me. Uh, she still lives in Kentucky. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it was, um, you know, and I kind of watched out for her because, uh, you know, growing up, I don't care where you grew up. There's still some assholes. Uh, <laughs> I hope I can say that on the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, I wouldn't share my freedom here, so I'm, I'm assuming we can say whatever we want Yeah, to you here. can say whatever you want. Yeah, but, you know, I, I was still protective of her. There were still some kids around who were jerks, and, you know, I took care of her when I could. And uh, then pestered her when I could, too, because that was my job. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: And yeah. how, your relationship with your your parents and your dad, did you have a good relationship with your dad growing up?
1: Uh, you know, when I was growing up, I, my parents had me when they were pretty young. And I think they were still growing up as I was. And they uh, they were still trying to figure out things on their own. You know, I there was a lot of... Um, I'll say there was some anger in my household. Mm. Uh, you know, and I, I understand that it, uh, it, it came naturally uh, from, uh, from my grandfather. but like he was a fairly, apparently a fairly angry person. I was one of the few people he was really nice to, uh, but he passed away when I was four, I think. So I didn't really get to know him. But, uh, you know, dad, uh when, when, when I was growing up, we would go, I would go work with him. We didn't go play a whole lot, you know. Mm. Uh, we, uh, I had to go I went camping with him a couple of times, but it was mainly because he went hunting. Uh, I was never a hunter myself. I still, uh, still don't really care to go out and shoot things if it's not necessary. Mm. Uh, I own several guns, but I'm still not planning on shooting anybody or anything. But um, you know, we we didn't spend a whole lot of time growing up when I was growing up. And just because I think there was a lot of anger there and I was doing my best to kind of distance myself from it. But even in that, I, I, I managed to uh, to gain some of my own along the way too, you know.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, it seems like a common theme of that generation is this, this, yeah. this underlying anger that doesn't really get managed.
1: Yeah, oh, and I didn't know how to manage it for a long time. Uh, you know, it wasn't really until I started uh, doing my personal development work about 18 years ago that uh, the things started to change for me. But, uh, you know, I was I I could go off on just about anything if I if I, you know, allowed myself to do it.
2: Hmm.
1: And um, I didn't like myself back then, you know, back back in my 20s or growing up in my teens. That's why. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about this. I was pretty self-abusive back then. Right. you know but uh but it it all stemmed from the anger and just not liking who i was and and where i was in my life and what i was doing and you know, because i really wasn't offering any value to the world and um it was a very fulfilling place to be in life
0: so make that real for us like yeah is it in your teenage years that's when that those feelings started to come through
1: yeah, well, you know, I remember God, I remember when I was probably fourteen or fifteen years old. I went somewhere with my parents and I was sitting in the car and I just had this overwhelming feeling of depression. I started crying for no reason. And uh I remember kind of being left out there in the car while they went in and, and spent time with their, their friends. You know, I remember some anger starting to develop then. That's when I, you know, I started to discover alcohol back then too. And uh, I didn't know alcohol was going to play such a big part in my life, especially through my 20s. But uh, it it seemed like a way to escape some of the feelings that I was feeling, at least what I thought anyway. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Obviously, I wasn't escaping anything. Uh, I was avoiding it for a short period of time and uh, really wish I had found better ways to, to manage those situations back when I was younger, you know, because it turned into some pretty nasty stuff in my 20s.
0: Yeah, it's such a—it's a common theme of all the guys that come on here is, is saying, you know, they had, uh, well, I men in general, I guess that's why these conversations are so valuable—that yeah. that feeling of, well, depression or sadness or anger, and then just medicating with alcohol or marijuana or, um, yeah. you know, getting into fights or whatever the, the, the thing you choose is.
1: Right. Yeah. I I, would, I don't know that I was ever getting into fights. Uh, I wasn't never never trying to get into fights anyway. I was in a couple of them, uh, but not because <laughs> I started. Them. It was more like a uh, depression for you. Yeah. Well, you know, but it wasn't even that when I was drinking, man, I would, I would have had a blast. Uh, apparently, uh, I-, I got to the point where I couldn't even remember, you know, the nights before, uh, because I would just party and, uh, within a couple hours I was checked out. And, uh, at that point I would just have a good time, but I wouldn't remember any of it. Mm. I was blacked out for several hours on, on many occasions. Oh. Uh, you know, because the alcohol kind of got out of hand. Just because I, like I said, I didn't like myself at the time. Where do you think that came from? Like, do you think a
0: lot of that stems from your relationship with your dad, or the? Um,
1: I'm not going to say. Well, I, I don't want to put the blame all on him because it sure. isn't all on him. It's all on me. You know, it, it was I, at that point I was an adult and I had the ability to take control of my life. I just didn't know how. Mm. Uh, I would say that some of it sure came from from experiences in, in my younger life, you know, uh, and I, I've gone back and cleared out a lot of those things with hypnosis and with NLP and uh, really released some things that I wasn't even aware was were affecting me. You know, mm-hmm. give you an example. I was at a, a training. This is, this is actually right after I met you. Right. Uh, I was training in Arizona and uh, we were going through a series of exercises and one of them was we, we were Doing values elicitation and we were looking at values based around certain behaviors that we have and how those values affect the outcomes of what we do. And when we start off, we think about all the values that we have that are attached to these behaviors. And then we go through a series of exercises and a couple of these things. One of them brought up a feeling of fear. And I'm like, I don't even know where the hell this is coming from. So I, my buddy said, OK, well, just follow it back and see where it takes you. And I, I just I closed my eyes. The next thing I know, I was three years old. I was in a situation where, and you know, hell, if we're gonna be vulnerable, we might as well be. I was I was three years old. Honestly, I'd shit my pants.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, I was I was in my bed, and I was terrified to tell anybody because I, I I knew that as soon as I started screaming and hollering for somebody to come help me, that there was gonna be anger involved in it. Right. And it, it, it really, uh, it anchored some fear in me that I wasn't aware of. And when we got all that cleared out through this exercise I released and learned what I needed to learn from that experience, uh, coming back in, I, I looked at the values that I had based around the behaviors, at least the ones that I knew now, and they were completely different. And when we did uh, a, a, a values alignment process, they all lined up specifically the way they should. Uh, that would lead to the right outcomes. And since then, the behavior has completely changed. But it's really interesting how things that we experience in life that could be, that are traumatic for us in the moment, we don't realize how traumatic they are, but how they can affect us for, well, at this point, I'm 47 years old. We're talking 44 years of my life.
0: Yeah, it's that whole idea that you're still that same person. You know, you're still that three-year-old boy just 44 years later. Yeah, (laughs) Nothing changed.
1: Exactly. And the same fear was still there.
0: And uh, what were some of the values that were associated with it? Is that something you can uh, share?
1: You know, honestly, I'd have to go back and look at my notes. I don't remember. Uh, it wasn't something that I really had to think about later. It was just a matter of installing them and putting them in the right order so my unconscious mind could run with them. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I, I, I again, I'd have to go back and look at it. But I know that uh, love was part of it. Uh, that, uh, connection is a part of it. And, uh, there were, it, it actually, we started off with 11 values that I thought were connected to this behavior. By the time we got finished, there were only four. Right. And because, because the alignment had come in, in a way that, uh, my unconscious mind could actually do something with it at that point. Because beforehand it was running through so many different values and different different ways of approaching the problem that I was not getting the outcome that I needed. It was too complex for my mind to actually go through. Does that make any sense?
0: yeah, that makes sense, yeah, yeah.
1: so once we simplified it, my mind was like, "Oh okay, shit, I got this now
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> amazing and yeah it's it's always amazing to me like you see how many of those things that are hidden and I guess like, you wouldn't really know like unless you come across a situation that you have an unexpected response to. Like you said, you're feeling fear in a in a certain yeah. situation. That gives you, um, and I guess because of the work you do, that gives you the impetus to go and go searching for where that might have come from.
1: Well, and I think that's something that I've learned over the past couple of years is when these things come up is to sit down and, and go in them instead of trying to avoid them. Mm. Because everything you're experiencing is there for a reason. Every behavior you have is actually driven by a positive intention. And that may seem kind of strange depending on what behaviors you have. But those they're all driven by something within your unconscious mind that wants you to have a positive outcome from those experiences in some way. It may be protection. And those things can lead to uh, well they can lead to really self-destructive behaviors. You know, going back and looking at my own self-destruction, looking at the alcohol, the drugs that I was consuming. You know, uh, I'm not sure exactly what I was running from back then because I've worked through so many things since then. And I think if I'd known what I know now and and could have approached it that way, I would have gained more insight from it. But I don't feel like it's necessary at this point. But those behaviors were driven by something in my unconscious mind that wanted me to have a a better outcome. It it may have been, uh, you know, protecting me from the negative feelings or having to look at myself in the mirror or whatever it was but it was still driven by some positive intention.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I have a lot more awareness around this myself in the last few years and just going through this last, you know, just, I've been through this transition, leaving my job, leaving Japan, moving, packing up all my stuff, and the sensation in my body has been just pure panic and anxiety. Yeah, but, right. Yeah, and I, I can see, well, for the first time, I can have awareness around that and not react to it. I can yeah, go, because exactly. I, know, I know what I'm doing. I, I've made um, – you know, the, the choice I wanted to make, I'm going, I'm following my heart, I'm doing what I want to do. But yeah. my body, there's a response in my body that <laughs> thinks we're going to die, that thinks you're giving up all your security. Um, We're going into the unknown. And so all these responses are coming up. But like you say, they're trying to get a positive outcome. They're trying to stop me from being hurt in some way.
1: We haven't had that many conversations, Nathan, but, you know, this is speculation going back. There could be some situation in the past where you went through some change that created a negative outcome for you. So your unconscious mind created that association with this kind of change. But if you, you know, you take somebody who traveled around their entire life and they met new and amazing people, had these incredible journeys, staying in one place might create the same anxiety for them.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. You know,
1: Uh, because our, our unconscious minds are association making machines. Mm. It's what they do. We create associations with everything and then we create outcomes and, and they can be behavioral outcomes. They can be emotional outcomes and and that's what the unconscious mind does. It gives us an outcome from those experiences. So when we, when we have these anxieties, we're, we're literally firing off chemicals in our body to to those those experiences but it's based on something that happened before.
0: Wow. And it's important, uh, you know, you you said you work in, do you call it hypnotherapy, hypnosis? Is it all the same thing? Uh,
1: You know, I I, I do do coaching. I do hypnotherapy. Uh, I, I do more hypnotherapy than hypnosis because I do more change work than just putting people into trance. And doing uh, doing the silly stuff with them, I'm not a big fan of the. I'm not putting down stage hypnosis. It's just not for me. You know, I'm not a big fan of the entertainment side of it because I've seen the potential of uh, of the outcomes that people can get from this work, and uh, that's why I call myself a hypnotherapist instead of a hypnotist.
0: I see, and that so it's important in your work to actually find the root cause of these things, or is it more important just to go? okay, you've had a certain anxiety, like I'm saying, I had an anxiety around this experience. That's all you need to know? Or do you like to trace it back and find the experience that created it?
1: You know, I, I look at it like a puzzle. And if we can go back and find the initial sensitizing event that kicked it off, fantastic. But it's not necessary uh, because the unconscious mind has a wonderful ability to generalize things as well. Mm. So, you know, take somebody, uh, well, I had a client yesterday. We were we were working through, she's, she's been having panic attacks and uh, we went through yesterday and went back to the last worst time she had one and cleared it out and then i let her unconscious mind generalize through the rest of them so and she's had probably six or seven and by the time we got finished with it even thinking back to the experiences she had she couldn't really grasp them Mm. Uh, there was no emotional connection attached to them anymore so it's not absolutely necessary to go all the way back but i think it's kind of fun if we can you know, because I, I just want to see where things go. I, I like I, I look at people like puzzles and, you know, let's see if we can break apart and put back together in a different way.
0: Yeah, it's so cool. I, we'll come back to this later on. I want to – the questions I have around this is like, um, just because I know very little about it, I'm excited to talk to you about it. But it seems to me that w- what's the outcome you're trying to achieve? You're trying to remove all these blocks so that this person is free or this person is just, uh, you know, can go through their life without these responses or what is the kind of stuff I want to dive into, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Is, in your twenties. So going back to in your twenties, you said, you know, it was a, not your favorite time. You didn't like yourself that much. You kind of self-medicated a little bit. What What were you doing job wise? Did you go to university from Kentucky or what happened there?
1: Uh, well, I, um, I, I, I left high school and went to the university of Kentucky for a semester. Oh. <laughs> uh, And that's when everything kind of broke loose. That's when I discovered I could really party and be free. And uh, you would never know from the outside that I didn't like myself. Right. Uh, I was really good at hiding it uh, to the point where, you know, I I was surrounded by people all the time. You know, I was uh, apparently the life of the party. You know, I joined a fraternity and I was I was uh, elected my pledge class president and I wasn't even running. You know, it just uh, people were looking up to me and I have no idea why, because I didn't like myself at all. You know, and back uh, after after I went back to Owensboro after leaving UK for, for that semester from that semester and having wasted several thousands of my parents dollars. And if they listen to this, I really apologize for that uh, because I really, you know, just just fuck that up. But I went back to Owensboro and that's when I kind of started discovering, uh, you know, other kinds of drugs, discovered some LSD, discovered a little bit of cocaine here and there, Uh, smoked marijuana throughout the entire time. And uh, but I was hiding, man. You know, I was I was running from myself because it was easier to push myself outside and have a good time with everybody else than go inside and have to face whatever I was afraid of facing. You know, looking back on it now, it's it's like that wall of water. It looks like something, but on the other side of it, you're like, "Oh, that's that's all it was." Mm. Uh, you know, and, and I got to the point where I almost pulled the plug. I uh, one stormy night, I decided I was done, and uh, I was ready to. Uh, I, I, I honestly, and I'm I'm still still to this day can't swim worth a, you know, I swim like a rock, <laughs> uh, but I had uh, decided that's the way I was going to check out one night. And I remember riding my bicycle down to the Ohio River and uh, sitting at uh, this little park. It's called English Park. There was nobody out there because it was just pouring down rain, man, just torrential, terrible. It was a god-awful night. Like a we, movie scene. Oh, I it mean, really was, man. It's like, you know, this is the end. Uh, and I'm sitting on the bank of the Ohio River, and I'm like, all right, I'm done. I, I give up. And I looked up, and I said, if you want me here, you better give me a response right now. And, you know, I really I don't know how many miles of bank there are on the Ohio River. It's a long river. It goes from up around Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, all the way down to the Mississippi. I'm sitting there on the bank. It's pouring down rain, lightning, thunder. Excuse me, I'm choking up talking about this. Oh, uh, an, an otter popped its head up out of the water and looked at me. And shook its head. Wow. And I went, oh, shit.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. All right. I heard that. And the, the, the otter disappeared. I never saw it after that. Obviously, I, still to this day, I still have an affinity for otters. Um,
0: and yeah, the otter didn't know me. how influential it was when it yeah, woke up that, that morning.
1: Well, maybe it did. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe it did. But uh, But that otter saved my life that day. Wow. And honestly, that ought to save a lot of people's lives that day. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, considering the work I've done over the past 17 years, but, uh, that was enough to keep me from jumping into the river. It didn't change the way I felt about myself. I was, I still didn't like me, yeah. you know, and, uh, you, you're asking what I was doing back then. You know, I, I went to college I went back home. I worked in some restaurants. I ended up getting a job in radio uh, I worked in radio for several years back in the early '90s, and uh, worked at a country station. And honestly, I can't stand country music. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it was like it was like communications boot camp because I learned a lot there, but I hated every minute of it. Uh, <laughs> you no, know, and uh, it, it kind of shaped my speaking abilities and the ability to stand up in front of rooms. And uh, really appreciate getting that from that experience, but. You know, I ended up going to college, uh, married, uh, married my fiance before we left and went to school for a little while. Still wasn't happy. Still couldn't figure out what I wanted to do with my life. You know, had several different majors in college. And uh, ended up uh, getting divorced and in and out of relationships. And yeah, it just it wasn't uh, it wasn't a pretty time in my life. Mm. You know, uh, met my second wife, ended up uh Honestly, right before I was going to break up with her, ended up uh, getting pregnant and uh, so blessed by that. I have such an amazing daughter. Uh, She's about to turn 18. But, uh, you know, even even then, that's that. But that was kind of the transition point. That was where I was starting to look at myself. You know, when I found out my daughter was on the way. And said, you know, I don't know who this kid is. It's coming. But I know she deserves a better dad than me. That was the turning point. That, that was the, that was the, that was the catalyst. That, right. that was, you know, that was what, that's what started the transition. It was a one degree turn at that point. Right. Uh, But it was a turn. And that's, that's when I let my cigarettes go. Uh, That's when I got hypnotized for the first time. And uh, that's, that's, uh, that was, that changed everything. Getting hypnotized for the first
0: time. Wow. And so the, where does the journey go from there? So you. Yeah. The one degree shift, your, your daughter's born.
1: Yeah, I uh, ended up getting divorced again, uh, <laughs> which uh, looking back on it, still, it's the best thing that could have happened. You know, uh, honestly, we never should have gotten married in the first place. We should have just had our daughter and, and gone our separate ways. But, uh, you know, life is what it is and we gain what we gain from it. Um, no, I ended up going back to um, back to the town where I was in college, which was about 45 minutes away from my daughter. And I had friends there so I could step back into that ended up, uh, you know, just trying to figure myself out. I was still still partying, but, uh, you know, was was letting a lot of stuff go. I just discovered hypnosis and self-hypnosis. And, uh, you know, that's when it was that's when I was starting to make some transitions. I was still drinking way too much, though, you know, and that's something that kind of kind of disappeared over the next few years, I guess.
0: Mm. It was more like a slow transition. There wasn't one big turning point where your whole life changed. It was just a slow transition.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, the cigarettes were the big thing. That was that was an instant transition. That was you know, boom, it's over. I'm like, okay, wow, that's really cool. You know, because I was I tried to quit for two years before that and couldn't do it, and uh, just couldn't put them down. Every time I did, I ended up buying another pack ten minutes later. Oh, uh, but but going through my divorce the second time was uh really heart-wrenching because uh my daughter was involved this time you know the first divorce kind of sucked but it was it was coming uh the second one I just I missed my daughter I think more than I missed my wife you know and uh that kind of led me into some depression as well so it, it was it was it was a slow transition over a few years there
0: and what did you learn from those relationships
1: uh well, which ones
0: well, I guess the first one you you um you got married again, and then that you know didn't work oh, out. What was the
1: yeah? Well, from from my first wife, we were just so young, uh. You know, again, I we I was in love, but uh, we were both too young, and she came from a household that had more anger than mine, and uh, it was a volatile situation. So you know, that was just best left behind. And, uh, what did I learn from that? Uh, just, I need to relax more. <laughs> uh, and I have over the years, obviously, you know, but, uh, there's still some anger in there. We can talk more about that later. Um uh, it doesn't rise up as much as it used to, but it's, it's still there and I can still get still get a tinge of it every now and then. But, um, you know, I think what I learned from the second one is be absolutely sure before you decide to go going to sign a piece of paperwork. You know, we, um, we we came from two different worlds. I was very artistic, uh kind of hippieish, you know, long hair, long beard, and she came from a southern baptist background. We were attracted to each other, but I don't think there was that emotional connection that I had with my first wife. But I got married because I just I I was I wanted a family. And uh I guess I was willing to settle for her to have that at the time.
2: <laughs>
1: oh Thank God. I, you know, the divorce was was the second best thing that happened that marriage, Uh, (laughs) my daughter being the first. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, no, I just uh, I I don't. As far as marriage goes, I don't know that I'd ever step back into it again. If if I find uh, the partner that I'm going to be with for the rest of my life then fantastic you know, and we stick together and we go through the tough times and the good times and we stick it out and that's great, but I don't see any point in having a piece of paper and having, uh, you know, lawyers between us anymore.
0: Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, it's it's interesting to me, like, I'm sure you don't have any regrets or anything like that. There's, everything's been for a reason, but.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Someone that's going through that, because it seems like you, you had a lot of troubles going on, a lot of stuff that you need to deal with It was wasn't being dealt with like what what advice would you give to someone that's in their 20s that knows their life's a bit tumultuous maybe has that feeling of not liking themselves that much is drinking too much yeah what steps can you take to kind of avoid stretching that out for too long
1: uh reach out reach out to somebody who's been through it uh, because somebody who hasn't been through it can't give you any advice and they're not going to be honest enough with you because they don't understand they haven't been there uh, and there are plenty of us out here who have been through this, you know, so, uh, drugs and alcohol are not, uh, that is definitely not something that is foreign to, uh, you know, growing up. It's, uh, it, it becomes a part of our lives for many people. Some people, they party through it and it's fine. They do what they do. They get through their twenties and it's great. And it's all over. Uh, but you know, if somebody's in a situation where they're doing it because they're masking and they're covering things up, then just go talk to somebody. You know, go have a conversation with somebody. Go have a deep – go Go call Nathan. Uh, you, you know, ha- have a deep conversation with somebody about what you're experiencing and be open enough and vulnerable enough to allow somebody to help you. And, you uh, know, I know sometimes, especially in our 20s, we, we, we think we're indestructible. And uh, we also don't want to seem vulnerable to people. But, honestly, that's the way through it you have to be open. You have to be honest with yourself too. And, uh, but find somebody to talk to, find somebody to have a conversation with. You can't do it on your own.
0: And who was that for you? Did you end up finding one person that really changed things for you or that you were able to talk to?
1: Um, you know, I've found a series of people over the years. I I wouldn't say there was one, there have been some that have been uh, influential in my growth, but, uh it's, it's not all one person because I, I, I'm i taking I want to learn as much as I can from as many people as possible. Most of them are older than me, uh, you know, because I, I love talking to old people Man, they've been through it. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, my some of my favorite conversations in my life have happened with people who are 80 plus. Yeah, because, uh, you know, because they they've lived. They have things to tell you. They have things to teach you and listen to them. God, listen to them. Uh, pay attention (laughs) there's
0: no new problems (laughs) uh what's that there's no new problems
1: no there really aren't and and they've they've been through it most likely so you know listen to what they have to say take it to heart put it into action and and, you know live a a better life that you deserve than trying to figure out things on your own i love that but yeah you know they're like so there have been a handful of people that have have stepped up and and they uh, they've come into my life at just the right time you
0: know yeah can you give me some examples of who are the people that you're you're thinking of uh
1: well i had uh i had a friend named jim i'm not gonna I'm not gonna say his last name sure uh but uh when uh when i moved to nashville he uh we we just really became friends and he had been through a lot of stuff that I'd been through and when i moved here honestly i was i was this was fourteen years ago i was still a little depressed uh, because I really didn't have any family to support me. Uh, they, none of them, wanted me to move here. Uh, my daughter was uh, moving away. She was going to be living in Flagstaff, Arizona, which was, you know, on the other side of the country. And uh, just felt really alone when I got here. And and what, what
0: brought you there? What was what was the reason you were going there?
1: Uh, well, I, I found this ability to, to hypnotize people, uh, and <laughs> found that I'm really good at it. And I started practicing this when I was living in Kentucky and playing around with it up there and realized, you know, I'm actually pretty damn good at this. I think I can do this for a living. But I was living in a town called Murray, Kentucky. It's a town of about 17,000 people. And there's no way that was, you know, this kind of work was going to last up there for any length of time because it's a small rural town. And uh, so Nashville was was close to home. It was still somewhat close to my daughter. It's still somewhat close to my family, still somewhat close to my friends, and uh, just seemed like these. And I've always liked Nashville, so I just decided to move here and, and start my practice. And uh, yeah, literally just threw all my stuff in the back of a truck and a pickup, you know, back of a, a truck and a, a trailer one day, and drove down here and put all my stuff in storage, and ended up sleeping on a friend's couch for a while, quite a while actually. <laughs> <laughs> We were both happy when I left that couch. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: that was plenty of those stories.
1: Yeah, uh, was like I honestly, I came down here I had less than four hundred dollars to my name, all right? And uh, had no had no job. Had all I knew how to do was hypnotize people. I didn't know how to market or build a practice or do anything, you know. So I ended up uh, waiting tables for a while. And, uh, you know, spending time downtown, uh, cause I was working at restaurants down there and that's where I met this guy. And he just kind of became a mentor and somebody I could talk to. And you know, those nights, uh, cause I was, I'd still go out and drink sometimes cause I was in the restaurant business, you know, but the next night I would next day I would regret it and I'd call him and we'd have conversations about it and he'd kind of helped me talk me back down. So I wouldn't go do it again that night. Um uh, you know, cause I was just, I felt alone even, even being surrounded by people. I was alone.
0: Yeah. Was that, the uh, uh, just inability to be vulnerable, to connect, to open up, all, all those oh, kinds yeah. of things.
1: I, I, there was no way I was going to be vulnerable back then. Yeah. yeah no, I couldn't let anybody know what I was feeling, what I was thinking. No, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Those things always come
0: hand in hand with loneliness. You know, you, you yeah, you, you can't things, or you don't know how to share your deepest truth or you don't know how to open up or you don't know how to connect or you don't want to. Right. And, you know, as a, one of the symptoms is you feel very lonely.
1: Yeah, I, I was living a very surface life and having a great time outside. Mm. But uh, then I'd go home and I would just be depressed, you know, because I was there by myself and there wasn't anybody around. And um, now I'm completely okay with being alone. I don't feel lonely at all. Mm. There's a big difference uh, because I, I like me now. I enjoy being with me. Yeah, you
0: enjoy your company.
1: Yeah, I enjoy my company. I enjoy the things that I do now. I'm not. Uh, I'm not hiding from who I am. Uh, you know, and, and like I said, when, it, when emotions come up and when fears pop up, I just sit with them and go inside them instead of running away from them. And it's given me a lot of insight into who I am and what drives me and what makes me happy. And, uh, but it's, it's been a long journey, you know, it didn't happen overnight. Well, what's your experience with it? you know,
0: sitting with those kind of things. It's one thing I've noticed lately with me is, uh, I don't like getting bored. You know, so if I, if I find myself kind of hanging out with nothing to do for too long, I, I start to get uncomfortable. And so I start, you know, I jump on my phone or I uh, go out with some friends or, you know, just d- start muting the feeling of boredom or whatever that feeling is. So how do I, how would I sit with that or what, what would be the way to sit with that powerfully?
1: Well, with boredom, uh, what, what, first off, what do you mean by boredom? How do you know you're experiencing it?
0: Yeah, I think it's um, it's not so much. Maybe maybe it's not boredom, but I, I think if I sit around for too long, I get in my head and my my mind takes over, and you know, my thoughts are running crazy. And uh, I don't know, yeah. that's not a fun place to be for me. So I I, I don't tend to sit around for long.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Oh uh, well, and, and at that point, maybe you should. Yeah, and, that's what I
0: want to do. I've been practicing <laughs> practicing that more and more, but I wonder if there's a way that I can do it better. <laughs>
1: Do you meditate? Yeah, I do. Okay. Uh what kind of meditation do
0: you do? Uh I I pretty simple. I don't get too too um too complicated with it. So I usually just sit between thirty minutes and an hour every morning and just sit. <laughs> I don't sort of get myself into any states or anything like that. I just be with everything.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's, that's a perfect way to do it. Just let that stuff go by and realize that most of the thoughts that are in your head are a bunch of bullshit anyway. Uh, <laughs> cause they really are, you know, it's just a flow of stuff that goes through our mind every day that really doesn't mean anything. Uh, but as far as combating boredom, I honestly, man, I don't even know what boredom is anymore. Uh, I've got so many things that are on my plate right now that, uh, keep me busy that uh, I don't have time to slow down and even be bored. Um uh, but I, I think that's my- what that was it for me I think I was I was busying myself
0: with stuff that wasn't necessarily important or essential just to not be bored and so that's yeah. my experience is kind of you know now that I have more time on my hands all of a sudden um, just sitting with oh okay I want to busy myself and go right. well there's nothing essential that I need to do so how can I just be with this feeling of wanting to do something wanting to be busy Right. I guess it's it's a combination of all those things. So maybe boredom is not a good way to put it, but just that that feeling of not wanting to sit still, wanting to be busy. But I know, yeah. like it doesn't feel good. I know, like it doesn't feel authentic to be doing that
1: be sitting still or to have that feeling of well, one. Yeah, that not feeling again.
0: yeah like sitting still yeah. um feels like something that i need to do more of and so, so like
1: it, like like an inner agitation or
0: yeah i think so just you kind
1: of you kind of feel like you need to be moving all the time or totally or, yeah. Or, yeah. yeah yeah and anybody yeah.
0: that knows me will be laughing as <laughs> as i say that because that's sort of what i'm known for is never stopping you know never sitting yeah. still for too long yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> well then get up and move man yeah uh, you know, listen to your unconscious mind to see where it takes you. Mm. Uh, you know, I uh, like I said I, I've got so many things going on right now because my my practice is keeping me busy, and and we're completely redesigning my my training company right now. I just took on a new partner, so uh, we're rebuilding the new website right now and uh, getting it ready for a completely new complete relaunch here uh, the next week or so. So, uh, yeah, full I. Steam I still, ahead. Yeah, it really is. You know, from the time I get up to the time I go to bed, I'm doing something. And uh, if I get a chance to slow down for a few minutes, I go jump on my Harley and go for a ride. <laughs> nice. uh, that's what I'm doing tomorrow morning. I've, I've scheduled time out for it so I can get the hell out of here and, and go ride for a while. Because uh, that's uh, that's as much meditation for me as sitting on my meditation pillow every morning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Let's dive a little bit more into hypnotherapy then and just… um.
1: Sure.
0: Yeah, so… You sort of started getting into hypnosis yourself when you're back home and then you decide there's, you know, you want to make a career of it. Where does it go from there? How does it grow? How does it expand? How do you get to this point now where you are renowned for what you do?
1: Uh, where does it go from here?
0: Uh, from there, like from when you kind of got to Nashville, you were setting up, you were dabbled in a little bit. How did you get it to this point to to this point now?
1: Exactly. It's what I had. I'd I'd been dabbling it in Kentucky when I moved here, uh, you know, I, I, I knew I had to build a business and I knew I had to make some money somehow, but I had no idea how to do it. So I started looking at guerrilla marketing. What what's the cheapest way I can put my, put the word out there because I have no money at all. And, uh, like I said, I got a job in a restaurant, so that was kind of putting some food in my mouth, but it wasn't even getting me off the couch, uh, that I was sleeping on, not, not sitting on, uh, <laughs> cause I wasn't sitting, I was, I was working. But uh, trying to figure things out and uh, end up getting business cards printed up. Man, I was putting business cards anywhere you could think of. Uh, I, mean, literally, I I would go to bookstores and find every book on quitting smoking and I'd put a card in it. Nice. I'd find every book on, on, on losing weight and getting healthy and I'd put cards in them. I was looking at every book I could find on anxiety and putting cards in them. That's amazing. You know? Well, I knew I had I, I knew I had a, a focused audience uh, because it's what they were looking for. Yeah. And uh, that worked out well for a while until the cards, uh, I, man. If, if if you all decide to start doing this, make sure you push the cards in far enough that they don't fall out at the counter at the at the bookstore, <laughs> uh, because that's what happened. A few fell out. and They called me and uh, you know told me not to do it anymore. Uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> but, awesome. I love uh, the I love the initiative. Well, I, I was trying to figure out anything I could do to put some put a butt in a chair. Mm. Uh, and at the time, I didn't even have an office. I was actually going to people's homes, which is really strange sometimes. Uh, <laughs> it would be because homes may look normal outside. But once you get inside, there's uh, there's some oddities in there, um, <laughs> you know, and I had some pretty interesting well, a few interesting experiences. Most people were fairly normal, but a couple of them were just, you know, just, you know, I just wanted to get out of the house. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and, and just through some networking meetings, I ended up meeting a chiropractor and worked out of his back office for a little while. Uh, until I showed up one Saturday morning. He was asleep on a cot back there. Uh, he's apparently, his, his marriage had fallen apart, so he fell asleep on, uh, in, in his office. And uh, as I'm coming, I've got a client right behind me. I open up the door, and there's a cot, and there's this guy sleeping on it. I'm like, well, maybe we shouldn't do our session in here today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh ended up just through several different offices over the years, um, and it ended up... Uh, it was about 2005 I guess I discovered uh, conversational hypnotherapy and that started to have a really big impact on the work that I was doing because most of the work that I was doing before that was fairly scripted you know I'd memorize some scripts and I would take people through those scripts but once I understood that what I was doing really wasn't as effective as it could be then I had I was looking at ways that it could be more effective and conversational hypnosis kind of jumped up and filled those gaps for me. Yeah. So
0: I guess the clue's in the name, but what what is it? What's the difference?
1: Well, in, in conversational hypnotherapy, what we're doing is literally having conversations with somebody and guiding them through experiences that uh, it can happen in completely open-eyed. Their change can happen just through the conversation. Uh, and there's, there's some NLP attached to that. There's some Eric, Milton Erickson's uh, work that was studied over the years that's been kind of played into this. Uh, but it's, uh, it's just a different way of approaching. It's not shut your eyes and I'm going to count down from 10 to one and you're going to be hypnotized. It's let's have a conversation. And during that conversation, what I am doing is looking for uh, specific signs of trance that, that we all exhibit because we all go in and out of trance all day long. I'm looking for specific signs that tell me that somebody is going in that state in that moment. So I can start to introduce suggestions and ideas and, uh, and, and help them break uh, – actually, we're breaking the, the, the neural connections they have in their brain. Uh, there's a lot of neuroscience behind this as well uh, and some quantum physics in there too. So it's, uh, it's, it's a different approach to hypnosis than swinging a watch and telling people to cluck like a chicken. <laughs> yeah, the old yeah. version.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's so interesting. So what, tell me what you mean by trance.
1: Well, you know, there are different levels of brainwave activity, and uh, you may know this. Some of, your, some of your listeners may or may not. Uh, we have beta, alpha, theta, and delta. Uh, there's also gamma, and there's another one above gamma, and there's one below delta as well. Uh, but they're so rare that we're not going to worry about those. Beta is normal waking consciousness. That's when you're having conversation, you're completely aware of what's going on around, you're connected with the world. When the brain waves begin to slow down and we go into more of an alpha state, that is a light trance. It's where you're sitting there watching television, so you're reading a book, you're uh, daydreaming. Uh, maybe you're. Uh, it could be light meditation, or even starting to doze off. You just sort of tuned out the outside world a little bit. Yeah. You, you're. 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 Yeah. Exactly. You. You're, you're. You're on. You're in your own thoughts at that point, pretty much. Or connected to the experience that you're having directly in front of you, that you're focused on, like television, movie. Uh, you know, driving is another experience like that. If you, you know, you drive, you know, ten miles, and you look up and go, "How did I get here?" Well, that that's a form of trance. Your unconscious mind was in control at that point. Uh, we also have theta. Theta is where we're getting into deeper levels, and, and actually alpha. We can experience light levels of hypnosis in alpha. Uh, we experience deeper deeper levels in theta. Also, uh, meditation uh, is in there. Uh, sleep, and then we get into delta, where we get into uh, REM sleep, and all the way down to coma state. But uh, the thing is, and what we've understood over the past several years, that the depth of trance has nothing to do with the outcome when we're doing hypnosis. So it can be we any just, any of those levels. Uh, it could be any, yeah. Well, it, it, it typically it's more an alpha because we we have uh, we have their attention absorbed at that time. Right. But, OK, in beta, your, your mind can be all over the place. So we, the thing is, one thing we have to have when we're doing hypnosis is attention. Without attention, we can't do anything. You know, whether I'm doing a rapid induction on somebody or whether I'm doing conversation with hypnosis with somebody. You know, if their attention is drawn away, then I, their, their mind is not going to be able to do the processes that I want to take them through.
0: Mm. So you said like you're looking for signs that somebody's in trance. Well, what, what sort of signs are you looking for? That uh,
1: well, there's a uh, blink reflex can change. It could actually stop, or it could speed up. Either way, mm. and you've probably seen people go into states like that, where yeah. they they go into eye catalepsy, where they're just kind of just absorbed completely in, the, in whatever they're looking at. Uh, it could be relaxation of the face. It could be change of breathing. It could be change of heart rate. Uh, there could be a flushing of the face. It could be slowing of, uh, of words, uh, conversation can be a little bit more – not necessarily slurred, but the words may take a little bit longer to be formulated. You know, there's – those are the kind of things that I'm looking for while we're having a conversation. Right.
0: And once you yeah. see that – start to see those, then you can start doing your
1: Yeah, your well, when, I, when I start to see it, then I can start introducing suggestions uh, on an unconscious level. Uh, using embedded commands or guiding them through experiences. Even open-eyed, we can we can help somebody change completely. And I, like I was talking about a while ago, going back to when I was three years old, the change that happened in that exercise that we were doing was completely conversational. We were sitting out in a courtyard at a hotel in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I'm just having a conversation with this guy. And he's asked me a couple of questions, given me a couple of directions and some things to do to connect with that different part of me, and as I'm doing that, it's affecting my unconscious mind and the way it experiences that experience of the past. So this stuff, it, it literally does affect the the neuron connections in our brain.
0: And I guess, like the way you describe that, you know, is it is it going on all the time in a way? Sure, it is. Right.
1: Absolutely. I, in fact, I would even say that all learning happens in a state of hypnosis. Mm. All of it. Because at this point, see, well, let me let me let me let me go back and say that again. All learning after about 12 or 13, 14 years old is in hypnosis. Prior to that, we are pretty much information sponges. Up until about eight years old, anything that somebody of authority tells us becomes our reality. Hmm. We just accept it. I'm sure there are exceptions to those rules. But for the most part, people that we hold in authority when they tell us something becomes real for us when we're children. Once we get about 12, 13 years old, we start to develop what we call our critical factor. And that critical factor is a gatekeeper. Because basically everything you need to know, you've learned up to that point in your life. You can live your life in the belief systems that you have up to about 12, 13, 14 years old. It may not be a great life for you, depending on the life you had when you were growing up to that point. But at that point, your mind pretty much shuts down, closes off, and there's that gatekeeper there. And when somebody comes up and tells you something, you're probably going to be a little more critical of it before you accept it as truth. Mm. And that becomes more true as we become older. But to learn anything and for it to become a real part of us, that it must become a part of our unconscious mind. And to become a part of our unconscious mind, it must bypass that critical factor, which in and of itself is the definition of hypnosis. It's bypassing that critical factor and allowing information and suggestion to become a part of the unconscious mind.
0: So is there, way, uh, is there a way that we can use this when we're learning new things as adults?
1: Uh, yeah, well, and you know, the thing is, there's, there's a couple of different ways we learn uh, doing things on our own. We learn through repetition or stimulation. Okay, if we do something over and over and over and over and over, then we're going to get it as long as we're doing it right. Now, keep that in mind, because practice doesn't make perfect. That's what a lot of people think. Practice just makes permanent whatever it is, Mm. because anything we're doing, we're teaching our brain to do better. No matter what it is. So if if you want to experience something better in your life, then and this is this is coming from neuroscience right now. If you, if you want to experience something better in your life, what most people do is they decide they're going to have goals out in the future. and When I achieve this goal, I'm going to feel great. But the thing is, that goal is so far out in the future that random experiences in life come up along the way and knock us off that path. And even at that, the goal that we're holding on to may not have the same values at that point in our life as we've grown more at that point. Mm. So which is kind of interesting because we're we're holding on to an idea that we wanted before. Instead of one that actually grows with us as we grow. So I, say, the example would that, be I,
0: like picking your picking your career at sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not a big fan of, of setting long term goals. I think it's important to have direction in your life and decide where you want to go and what values you want to carry on through your life. But setting up a specific goal and saying this is what I'm going to achieve by you know five years from now. Well, five years from now it doesn't exist. And so much of life is going to happen along the way that's going to, you know, that could push you off track and then you fight your way to get back on track. But there could be so many amazing things that come up in your life that you completely don't even see because you're blinded by this one thing that you want down the road. And then you don't even get to live the life that you truly deserve because you're trying to live towards trying to attain something that you wanted five years ago.
0: Yeah, so interesting.
1: So. The, the best way to approach this and the best way to to move forward in your life is decide how you want to feel if, if let's say uh, because I work with a lot of people with weight you know let's say you know if somebody tells me they're going to feel fantastic when they lose 20 pounds 20 pounds I'll say well actually exactly how are you going to feel when you lose that And what I want to do is I want to elicit as much of that experience as I possibly can in this moment. That feeling of greatness, that feeling of confidence, that feeling of satisfaction, that, that feeling of pride of having accomplished that. I want to put them as much in that state as they possibly can here now and then from that state they can make a choice of what to do next that will move them in that direction.
0: When, how does that last bit work? Because I understand you know, getting the the feelings and feeling that in this moment and feeling all this, the success, but how does that move you towards, say, Losing weight after that.
1: Well, let's say, uh, let's say you you, uh, you have this feeling of accomplishment, that you have this feeling of pride. You know what actually doing the next thing is going to do for you because you're experiencing it right now.
2: You've had a preview. You've
1: already had a preview. So if you do it, you're only going to get more of that. Now, by by making that choice, I'm not saying decide I'm going to go join a gym for the next year. What's the next smallest step you can take? Can you do five setups right now? Having that little bit of accomplishment is going to help move you forward because most people, when they start off with an exercise program, they don't have an exercise program to start off with. (laughs) (laughs) Right. They haven't done anything for years. Yeah. And they go join a gym and they get their ass kicked by a personal trainer. And they're so sore for the next four days that they can't go back to the gym. And they feel let down at that point because they they didn't follow through on the things they should have done. And then they're depressed again, and they're back in the same situation they were in before.
0: And they're feeling the same feelings I've always felt. Disappointment and and overweight and depressed. Exactly. Mm.
1: But if they set small goals for themselves in the moment instead of setting them out five years from now. So if you feel great right now, what's the next smallest thing you can do? I, don't know, I can go work out for 15 minutes. Great, go work out for 15 minutes. Just work out for 15 minutes. Get the feeling of accomplishment from doing that. You don't have to kill yourself. Just do something different than you've been doing. And you start to alter the patterns that way as you do it consistently. Because if you're working out consistently, then you are creating a pattern. Right. if you work if you work your ass off one day and then you don't work out again for the next four days, you're not creating a good pattern. and you never achieve anything that way.
0: So this allows you to build these healthy habits just slowly over time.
1: one at one at a time, mm. just a little bit at a time. there there's a great book out called uh, One Small Step Can Change Your Life." and uh, if you haven't read it, you can pick it up it's it's an easy afternoon read, honestly. Uh, it's based on Kaizen. In fact, I'll give you the whole concept of it right now. What's the next smallest step you can take? That's really it. (laughs) What's the next smallest thing that you can do that can move you in the right direction. And it could be something really simple. Next smallest step I can take is go, go put my gym shoes on. Well, good. Go put them on. And then what's the next smallest step from there? I go walk around the block. Fantastic. Go walk around the block. Once that's done, what's the next smallest step you can do from there? I could do five sit ups. Fantastic. Do five sit ups. It doesn't have to be a massive change in life. It just needs to be one, like I was going, like I was talking about a while ago, that 1% change in direction.
0: You yeah, over time, change. it makes a big difference.
1: It makes a massive difference.
0: It is this, this uh common theme with the, the guys that I work with, a lot of entrepreneurs, is overwhelm. You know, just having so many things, well, and you, you're probably experiencing at the moment in your own business, just so many things to do and so much to, what do I put my energy into? Um, And that results in inaction, overwhelm and then do nothing.
1: Well, yes and no. I, I, I do have a lot going on, but I don't feel overwhelmed by it because I look at it as, as what's the next thing that I can do now. Yeah. It's just it's one step at a time. That's all we can take. You know, I, I hike a lot and i was i was out in a park here in nashville just about a month ago i guess and when i when i go up a hill man i go up a hill i i haul ass up a hill because it's that's just it's what i do i love i love just hauling ass as hard as i can up a hill so i feel like i'm gonna throw up when i get to the top and i was going up this hill one day and i'm cooking up this hill and i pass these two guys and this one guy goes man i wish i could do that and and it stopped me in my tracks and I turned around, I said, what do you wish you could do? He said, I wish I could move up the hill like that. I said, well, what's the problem? He said, I don't know. You know, I go up this, I, I'm going up the hill and it just seems like it's so far up the hill. And I, I you know, just, I have to stop along the way because it's just so long up the hill. I said, well, okay, I get that. It, it is a it is a big hill. I said, where's your focus when you're going up this hill? He said, well, I'm looking up at the top of the hill because that's where I've got to be. I said, okay, well, there's your problem. You know, the top of the hill is there. You know, you're going to get there if you put one foot in front of the other. Right? He said, yeah. I said, focus on your feet, focus on the next step. The top of the hill is not going anywhere. It's going to be there. And if you focus on the next step, it's much easier because you're taking into bite sized chunks instead of being overwhelmed by the entire hill.
0: Well, it speaks to your having the, the long-term goals as well, like sometimes having a goal that's so far away and so big, or well, it's just, it's not reality, and you, you can't relate to it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's all about taking one step at a time. That's all life is anyway, but w- too many people take it as a whole, as a, as a whole, and it isn't that. It's a moment. All your life is, is a moment. All your life is is where your attention is in this moment. Because that's all you can experience. We've talked about
0: it a a few times in this podcast, but the the most pervasive feeling, and you talked about it, is that thought of I'll be happy when. And it's like, well, (laughs) what do you need to be happy now? What's missing in this moment?
1: The thing is, everybody knows how to be happy. Everybody has been happy at some point in their life. Mm. Even if it's only been fleeting. Everybody has experienced happiness. And even if you can only get a small amount of it back and experience it in the moment, then make a decision on where you're, what you're going to do next from there, because that's going to amplify it because you're going to have some success from what you want to do instead of overwhelmed and, and you know, anxiety because of the things that you haven't accomplished. It's the next step. You know, when I lay down at night, man, my head hits the pillow, I'm out. I'm not worried about what I did from the day. I'm not worried about what I have to do the next day. It's just being in the moment and making each choice from there.
0: And how have you, that's a nice place to kind of bring it, bring it all around. You know, this, this story of, of struggle and, and, uh, you know, alcohol and stuff through your twenties to, to getting to this point. Now, how, how have you, how have you got to this point now where your head can hit the pillow? You enjoy spending time alone with yourself. How do we get to this point now?
1: Well, it's being willing to be, be, be willing to spend time alone. Be willing to connect with yourself instead of putting your head on a, in a screen, whatever size it is, whether it's your phone or your iPad or your computer. It's sitting with yourself and listening to yourself and having conversations with yourself and getting to know who you are. You know, there's uh, there's an exercise that uh, it's been attributed to Wayne Dyer, I rest his soul. But I, I don't know if it was his, uh, his exercise or not. It was told by me that it was really simple exercise, but uh, I can promise you it'll be one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life. Get a chair, sit down in front of a mirror. And if, uh, if, if anybody here is listening that has children. You'll appreciate this. <laughs> uh, you, you think about the first time you saw your child, or the first time you saw the love of your life, and you knew instantly that there there was this connection, that there was there was there was just nothing but love between you. Keep that in mind for a second. Because what you're going to do in this exercise is you're going to sit down in front of that mirror and you're going to look yourself in the eye in that mirror and you're going to say, I love you. And you're going to say it again. You're going to say it again again and 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 on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And there's a few things, well, a couple things I can promise you are going to happen. Number one, you're going to laugh because it seems so damn ridiculous that you're sitting in front of a mirror talking to yourself this <laughs> long. Second thing I can guarantee you is you're going to cry because you're going to be cutting through all the bullshit in your life because love has its way of doing that. You're done with this exercise when you look yourself in the eye and you say, I love you. And you know it. And you feel it. And you honor yourself from there. You take care of yourself from there. But you know you're going to anyway. That's not in the exercise. It took me about two and a half hours to do this. Wow. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really hard. But it's not something you do in 10-minute increments. Do it. Sit down sit and you do through, it. Sit through it and get it done. And every single person who's done this exercise, I can tell a difference in their life. I I teach this to my students when I'm when I'm teaching my classes. And I can always tell the students who've done it the night before when they come back in the next morning. There's there's a there's a a lightness about them. There is a relaxation in their face. There's a brightness in their eyes. There's a big difference because they're connected with themselves again at that point. Because, see, the thing is, you're not your behaviors. You're not your beliefs. You're not the things that you know. You're so much more than that. Well, on an ultimate level, all you are is love.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, that was beautiful. I can't wait to do that exercise. I can't wait to go and do that for myself, actually. It's something yeah, I really it, want to do.
1: Uh,
0: I'm sure it's it challenging. A, it will make
1: a huge difference for you.
0: Yeah, because this concept of self-love and self-compassion, it's- I mean, that's ongoing, isn't it? It's something you have to keep keep working at, or it is for me, at least. Um, but ha- having those kind of exercises are so beautiful—something tangible you can do to actually work towards more self-love.
1: Yeah, I'll give you another little thing you can do at night too. Here in a minute, if you want.
0: Perfect. Yeah,
1: but uh, but I, I definitely encourage everybody to go through that. It's again, it's it's, it's a one-time process. Yeah. So. You know, I mean you can do it as many times as you want, but uh if you do it one time, it will change the way you look at your world it'll change the way you look at life it'll change the way you look at yourself and uh you know connect you with the ultimate you yeah that part really is you that big t truth inside it's beautiful stephen
0: it's it's amazing the work you're doing I know you've you're uh, you've affected so many people through this work and it through the the passion in your voice, I can see why um Tell me a little bit more about your business and, and how people can reach out to you. I know you've recently gone online with your business, so it doesn't matter where people are in the world, they can work with you, which is yeah. amazing.
1: Yeah, I work, uh, work virtually now. I use uh, Zoom typically. Uh, sometimes I use Skype. Uh, but uh, yeah, it doesn't matter where you are. I mean, I've got clients right now. I've got uh, I've got a client in Thailand I'm working with. I've had a couple in Australia and Norway. Uh, they're scattered all over the US now. Uh, so it really doesn't so matter. Australians are. are the most difficult, right? Uh <laughs> 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 Actually, uh, no, they were. <laughs>
0: this is the way. This is the way to get, appeal to the Kiwi crowd now.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, they were. Uh, I really enjoyed. In fact, I enjoyed teaching in Australia too. I taught in Australia in uh, Sydney uh, a couple of years ago. It was a great time. But uh, yeah, there's a couple of ways depending on what you're looking for. You know, if you're looking for personal work, and you're needing some help with some things in your life, uh, whether it's with some coaching or through hypnotherapy. Uh, or both, because it really it's a combination of both. I don't really separate the two. Uh, you can find me at steverehm.com, and I'm assuming Nathan will probably put a link on here somewhere around Absolutely. It. We'll put everything in the show notes. Yeah, so it's, it's com. That's uh, my, my personal uh, site uh, for my private practice and the coaching and work like that. Uh, if you're interested in learning this work, I also teach it, Oh, uh, And I'm, I'm embarrassed to send you to my website right now uh, because it's such a mess. Uh, but it's master Uh We're rebuilding right now. And I apologize if you see it as it is because there were some problems and it's uh, it really looks terrible. So
0: hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> by uh, the time no, you listen to this,
1: it's, it's all fixed the- up. Yeah, well, the new one looks amazing. So I'm, 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 uh, we should have it up within a week. So I don't know when we're going to be broadcasting this or when anybody's listening to it. So hopefully it's, you know, up and taken care of by then.
0: Perfect. The, um, the you, you touched on it very briefly, but and something I've referred clients to you for is uh, stopping smoking. You've got this amazing system through hypnotherapy used for stopping smoking. That's something else yeah. you're, you're quite passionate about.
1: Yeah, I've helped about 4,000 people quit smoking so far.
0: A pretty yeah. good number.
1: Uh, I like it. It's a good one for me. Um. Yeah, it's uh, it's something I've been doing. I mean, it's how I got into this work. It's uh, it's what changed my life initially, and uh, I've developed a process now that uh, I use and I teach as well. Uh, we're gonna be teaching that in uh, Nashville and Los Angeles this year, and you can see that on Master Hypnosis Training dot com. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it takes about two hours to go through the process, and if somebody needs to quit smoking. Get on Zoom with me for a couple hours and, uh, you know, if you're ready to quit, I can help you quit. If, uh, if it's not something you're wanting to do, something you're being forced in doing, don't uh, don't waste my time because I won't take you on as a client. Uh, the, there has to be the desire there to change before I'm going to work with anybody for anything, whether it's with weight or anxiety or smoking or you know anything else.
0: Beautiful. Well, the last question as always is uh, about your dark side. If you have a dark side, if there's still things that you're working on that, you know, can sneak up on you if you're not careful and how you embrace that part of you?
1: Well, uh, you know, I was thinking about this because this is a, a, you know, I knew this question before we started this. And I've been kind of thinking through, you know, there's there's still some anger in there. And I think it probably comes out more in traffic than anything else now. Um, Honestly, if I could uh, if I could put a cattle pusher on the front of my car and push cars off the road, some days I would. (laughs) <laughs> uh <laughs> but uh yeah I, I there's still some of that in there, and um i I think there's still some fear of being left alone too, honestly, and that's some stuff that I'm still working on, mm. and uh I know that's affected some relationships in my life, but uh you know i I look at myself as an ongoing process, and uh I'm excited to work through this and get it out of my life too. You know, I don't look at it as as a hindrance. I look at it as a challenge and uh, a new way to improve myself as I let this stuff go and, and learn what I need to learn from uh, whatever my unconscious mind is telling me because of that.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And that's the context, isn't it? You, you, it's the, the common theme for everyone we talk to on here. Again, is, uh, it's there's no top to the mountain. There's always something to work on. You got to commit yourself to doing the work and, and then. If you can find a way to look forward to these things coming up so you can work, work through them and have a better life, it's, it's a great context to have.
1: Yeah, well, I think you have to embrace the, the, the sadness as much as the happiness, the, the anger as much as the joy, because it's all who you are. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's all there for a reason. And the fact that you get, you get to experience these things is what life is all about. If if we didn't have, you know, changes in our life, if we didn't have the ability to experience different things and life would be monotonous and boring. And yeah, that would be terrible.
0: Absolutely. What is it uh, that everybody always messages me after every episode and go, you didn't push him deep enough on his dark side. <laughs> <laughs> so forgive me, but the, the the part where you said, you know, that fear of being alone, that yeah how does that how does it sneak up on you like you said maybe in some relationship does that come through as jealousy or
1: uh it has come up as jealousy yeah yeah, and uh it's something I'm not really fully understanding where it's coming from yet mm. uh that's part of what I'm still working through but yeah its it's coming it's come up as jealousy uh and uh that can lead into anger as well, and uh you know that's never a good thing for a relationship. But the fact that I can recognize that now and catch it before it becomes something that is so overwhelming, uh, that, uh, that I don't even know how to handle it anymore because there were times in the past when, when this stuff would come up and I would just rage. I had no idea what to do with it or what, how to handle it, where to put it. Uh, you know, now I sit with it and, uh, still not getting everything I want out of it, but at least I'm not uh, destroying somebody else's life because of some emotion that I'm having that's based on some experience that I probably don't well obviously I don't remember at this point uh, you know so yeah it's it's really sitting with it and and just saying okay all right this sucks but it's who I am at this moment what can I learn from it what can I take from it how can I make it different next time
0: it's so awesome thank you for sharing that and it's uh, I I love it when anybody's willing to not just be the guru but to say hey this is you know I I'm down the path and I'm doing pretty well, but there's still things I'm working towards. I appreciate that so much.
1: You know, I don't know that I ever want to take on the title of a guru. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm Steve. I'm I, no I, guru. I, that could
0: be a new phrase.
1: I, I'm a, I'm a man trying to trying to get through life. But just like everybody else. You know, uh, I don't put on that many pretenses. I have, I have honest conversations with my clients and I'm vulnerable with them too. Mm. You know, I, I don't tell them, I don't want them to think that I'm above them, you know, because I'm not, I I struggle just like everybody else. I've just found new tools to help me manage that struggle in a better way.
0: Awesome, and now you're sharing it with the world. I appreciate it so much, Steve. Thank you so much for coming on the show and and opening up, telling us your story and and sharing some of your wisdom as well. I've learned a lot. I'm going to go and sit in front of the mirror now. Good,
1: good. Thanks for having me on, it's been
0: fun. Awesome, thanks Steve. Well, there you go, my friends. That's my conversation with the wonderful Steve Rames. Some beautiful insights there, and I love uh, what he was saying in the end there about you know, getting into the heart, loving yourself, love is the ultimate thing. That exercise in front of the mirror just sounds incredible. I hope you give that a try. Um, you can find out more about Steve at his website, com. And as always, I'd love it if you could share this around on Facebook. Give it a like, give it a share, make a comment, send me an email, or leave a review on iTunes, whatever you feel called to do. I appreciate it all. Thanks, guys. I'll be back next week with episode 33 of The Nathan Seawood Show.
1: That was The Nathan Seawood Show.
2: Personal conversations
1: with powerful men.